5.29 a.m., July 16th, 1945. On that day, the definition of power changed forever. Even though the sun had not yet risen in the skies of New Mexico, the skies bursted with vibrant colors of yellow and orange and vibrant red. The atomic fireball grew at a rate of 650 feet per second. You can still go on Google today and look at pictures of this atomic bomb at 30,000 feet. Six days later, a separate atomic bomb was placed inside of a bomb called the Little Boy, and it was placed on a B-52 superfighter jet, and it was flown to Hiroshima, Japan, and it was let go. And after witnessing the carnage that was this atomic fireball, Robert Lewis, the co-pilot, simply said, what have we just done? And they flew back in silence. Six years later, the same chemical compound was used in Arco, Idaho. But this time, there was no carnage. There was no wreckage. The same uranium, the same chemical compound was used within a tiny little strand of lights to light up a city. And as I was reflecting on that this past week, it was amazing to me to think that the exact same chemical compound that was used for absolute destruction and carnage was now used to bring forth light and life in a city, to light up hospitals and homes and communities. The only sound that was produced that night when they lit up that city was the sound of cheering. And James, he's going to, this morning, give us 12 verses on a very similar chemical compound called the tongue. And he's going to tell us, do you not know, brothers and sisters, of the incredible power that you hold within this two-pound muscle called your tongue? Do you not know that you can use it to bring forth destruction and mayhem and death or to bring forth light and life and hope. The same tongue can be used in a variety of different ways, just like uranium that can be used to bring forth death and destruction or light and life. So if your Bibles are open, I want to encourage you to turn with me to the book of James near the end of your Bibles. If you don't know where that is, I encourage you to look at your table of contents, or you can go to the very back of your Bible, find the book of Revelation, start turning to the left. You're going to find Jude, 321 John, 21 Peter, and then James. James chapter 3, starting at verse 1. And truth be told, if, uh, if God came to me and he said, Justin, you can omit one verse from the Bible, just one, James chapter 3, verse 1 might be in the top two, top three there for me. This might be the one that I would choose. Here's what it says. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strict strictly. 
oh man. And here I am sharing God's word with you. This is the reason, by the way, why I have been encouraging you over the course of the last two months. It's only been two months since I've been preaching in this church. Isn't that amazing? It's pretty cool. We have a new home here. I'm not sentimental, you're sentimental anyway. But it's pretty amazing that what God is calling me to do as your pastor or for any pastor or for any preacher, our unique calling is to share and to communicate God's word with you. But truth be told, the reason why I want you to bring your Bibles every week is because if there's ever a difference between what I say and what scripture says, you don't follow the big goofball up front, you follow what's going on in here. And the only way that we are going to be able to measure and to test what I'm saying over against what Scripture is saying is if you are constantly in the business of measuring what I say with what you know in this book. I want our worldview, our perspective to be informed by Scripture. Always, always, always. And just so that I don't feel so weird this morning being the only communicator, the only preacher, uh, by a show of hands, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. Don't raise your hand till the very end. Um, how many of you are a teacher of students or are a coach of a particular sports team or an extracurricular activity or a captain of a sports team or an extracurricular activity or you're in a key position of influence or you are a supervisor or a boss or a direct report to someone else in the workplace or you have a key position of influence as a parent or as a grandparent or as a big brother or a big sister, there's someone in this world who looks up to you on an ongoing basis. How many of you are in a key position of influence? The vast majority of us. All right, Uh, for those of you who perhaps didn't raise your hand, how many of you here this morning have tongues? All right, at least half of you, perfect. James, this morning, he's going to be sharing a message to you, how do we communicate on an ongoing basis? He continues in verse 2. He says this, we all stumble in many ways. Oh, perfect. It's not just me. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check. You might recall something I shared with you just a few weeks ago when I said there's two different types of people in this world. There's Jesus and there's lawbreakers, of which we are all on this side, right? And so if we have an accurate picture of ourselves in the mirror, if we are able to actually see who we are, we know that we fall dangerously short of God's standard, and we need to be saved. Because we don't use our tongues perfectly, do we? This little two-pound muscle gets us in trouble every single day. And James, he, he means to level the playing field and to say, this is something we all struggle with. You know, I was reflecting this past week on a a little nursery rhyme, a, a children's tale that we often say out loud. It goes a little bit like this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have you heard that before? Whoever said that was a liar. Weren't they? 
I mean, I'm just thinking about this. Like, here's the thing about sticks and stones. I, I've broken my bones before. I've had a fractured ankle. I was once playing tag, and I was running over a barbed wire fence, and I got this much barbed wire in my leg, and I had so much adrenaline, I didn't even know it was in me, so I tried to get out, and kind of gross. And I had a firefighter try to get me off, and then I had to get it surgically removed. I have scars. I have bruises. I have broken bones. All of those things have healed, and more. And in fact, the vast majority of those stories make for fun stories to tell but words they can decimate they have the power to destroy in such a way that we might not ever heal from them I'm sure in a group of this size there's many of us here who are carrying around wounds that are 5, 10, 20 30 plus years old They've shaped our identities. They've shaped the way that we talk to our own kids and our own grandkids. Words that have been said to us that bring such pain, such destruction, that they affect the way that we live our life today. Sticks and stones might break my bones, but broken bones heal, folks. Words have the power to destroy And so in our sermon guide this morning, I put in the first heading, Sticks and Stones, because Jesus, through James, wants to reveal to us the power that we have with this atomic bomb called our tongues. And the first point that he wants to give to us is found in verses 3 and 4. He says this, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and they're driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. So here's how I put this in your sermon guide, the very first point. Our character is measured by our words. Our character is measured by our words. The very direction of our life is communicated is steered by the very words that come out of our mouth. If you have your Bibles uh, here with you this morning, I want to encourage you to just take a tab and put it in James chapter 3. We're going to turn there back there in just a second. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. You're going to pass a bunch of books that end in Ian's, and then you're going to find one of four big books, John, Luke, Mark, and then Matthew. Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. And while you're looking for that, Jesus, he is talking to the religious elites of the day, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, and they have some key words for Jesus. They're unhappy with what Jesus is doing, with the miracles that he's performing, and so Jesus wants to use them as an object lesson for everyone who's listening. And he says this, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, talking to the religious leaders, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good that's stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, 
and by your words you will be condemned. Jesus says, I'll tell you what, you can tell the quality of a tree simply by its fruit. I don't need to know anything about the root system. I don't need to know anything about the quality of the soil, the last time this tree has been pruned, uh, how much sunlight it gets, how much water it gets. I don't need to know any of the intricate details about this tree. All I need to ask myself is, is there fruit on this tree? And if there is fruit, I know it's a good tree. Likewise, I can look at another tree and see that it has gangly and gross fruit or no fruit at all, and just by looking at that, I know that this is a bad tree. Likewise, when it comes to us as followers of Jesus, as human beings, he says it's exactly the same principle. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you are constantly in the business of building each other up, using your words to bring forth light and life, then you have good inside you. But if you're constantly spewing poison out of your mouth, then you are simply producing the byproduct of what lies deep within. The good person, out of the good in their life, the good in their heart, brings forth good speech. The evil person, out of the evil in their heart, brings forth evil speech. Our character is measured by our words. The second point is this. If we control our words, we control our lives. If we control our words, we control our lives. I love just how practical James is. In these just 12 tiny little verses, he provides with us nine illustrations, anecdotes, and stories to help us get a better picture for how we ought to use our tongues. And the first example that he gives us is that of a horse with a bit in its mouth. He says, think of a horse or or any huge beast. You can put this tiny little piece of metal, this tiny little bit in a horse's mouth, and you can tame it and train it and cause it to go any which way you want to go. Absolutely amazing. Um, How many of you have ever been forced against your will to uh, watch one of those Hallmark movies? Anyone? talking for a friend. So there's this uh, one movie that I had the pleasure of watching with my wife one day, and uh, I can't even remember the the movie, what it was called, but I can still picture this six-year-old girl with her pink tails and her pink hat and her pink shoes, and uh, she's sitting on this 3,000-pound beast, right, one of these shire horses, the largest horse in the world, over 3,000 pounds, Right? And she's just galloping along, having a good time, enjoying herself. What's the scene about? I can't even remember because I was paying a whole lot of attention. But, you know, she's just riding this horse. And I'm thinking to myself, this horse is 60 times the size of this little girl. And for whatever reason, she is controlling the horse and not vice versa. Why? Because someone has tamed and trained this animal in the way that it should go so that a six-year-old girl can tame it. And control it. Then James, he gives us a second example of that of a ship with rudders. Um, I was thinking this past week of, you know, what's the largest ship in the world? So like any millennial, I took to Google, and that's what I asked, and I found out the answer. It is the Knock Nevis, otherwise known as the Happy Giant. It is a supertanker that weighs 657,000 and 19, don't forget the 19, tons. 
in pounds, that is one trillion three hundred and sixteen million pounds. This is like huge. It is 81 feet wide and over 1,500 feet long. Just for the sake of comparison, I have a picture uh, that I want to share with you up on the screen. This is the size of this tanker relative to U.S. landmarks. What you see there that's the closest is the Empire State Building. It is larger than the Empire State Building. See that tiny little uh, lady at the bottom? That's the Statue of Liberty. That's how much larger this super tanker is. It is absolutely amazing. Going at its slowest possible speed, this super tanker requires three kilometers in order to make a U-turn. That's how big this thing is. And, and the one thing that just like absolutely floored me is how this thing moves. It requires one person to steer this thing using a rudder one one-thousandth the size. And it can steer it any which way it wants to go. Now, we usually don't see rudders, do we, because they're underwater, but we, we understand how they work, right? Regardless of how ferocious the sea, if you have a super tanker that's over a trillion pounds, it's not going anywhere unless someone decides, I want to go left or I want to go right. And they move that tiny little rudder and they can bring it any which way they want to go. And James is saying to us, the same thing goes for you. Someone needs to be in control of this 3,000-pound beast. Someone needs to be in control of this 1,316,000,000-pound tank that is your life. And here's the thing we need to see up front. If it's you, we've already failed. If you are in control of your life and thereby control of your tongue, then don't be surprised when you are constantly spewing poison out of your mouth. So the big question is this. Who's in control of your life? Let's keep reading. Verse 5 and 6 says this. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. What? Is James overstating here for effect? What's going on here? Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, they're being tamed and have been tamed by humankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So I just have to ask you, like, is James overstating for effect here? The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison set on fire by hell. I mean, what a picture. What's he saying here? Is this actually true? And then I start thinking to myself, I know those moments in my life when my back is up against the wall, when I've been pushed down, when I've been mistreated, I always have my tongue ready. And hey, I'm a communicator for a living. I know how to hurt. And I know the area of vulnerability that that person possesses and the way that they're treating me. I could get back. 
I could say the right combination of words to unleash an atomic bomb in their life and to cause so much pain, so much destruction. I know in my own life as a result of my sin nature, the thoughts that I have had, that I could cause some serious damage. And then again, I think of that story. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Words have such a power to destroy. Words have such a power to break us all down until there's nothing left. James says, have you ever been to the circus? Have you ever seen elephants stand on two legs? Have you ever seen a tiger run through a life-size hamster wheel? Have you ever seen a lion jump through a hoop of fire? Have you ever seen chimpanzees literally drive around on motorcycles? Pretty cool. Have you ever seen dolphins jump through the water, through hoops in perfect symmetry? James says, even the most wild of beasts can be tamed, but no one has ever been able to tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of poison. And James means to ask that question, have, have I given you an accurate picture, an accurate depiction of how the tongue can be used, of how it can tear, up, tear down and build up, how it can bring destruction and how it can bring forth life? Can we see this now? I haven't been a pastor very long, but, but I have enough life experience to know the power of words for better or for worse. Just thinking back in my own life, I can picture the men and women who have had a key influence in my life by way of the things that they have said. My, my guidance counselor, Brent Smink, who told me he believed in me. My youth director, John Roper, who is the first person who ever told me it's okay to cry. He saw right through me. My pastor, John Visser, who helped me process some of my feelings of bitterness and resentment towards certain family members in my life. My coach, Dave, who told me I have what it takes. Who are the people in your life that you can think of right now that as a result of the things that they have said to you, they have built you up, they've given you courage, they've given you a conviction, they've helped you steer you down the right path? But then again, like I said before, I'm, I'm sure in a group of this size, how many of us conversely now can think of people in our life who have absolutely devastated us by the words that they have spoken? A father who has never said those three words, I love you. A mom who was always exasperating you, always asking that question, why can't you just be more like fill in the blank? coach who told you you never have what it takes. Someone who you thought you could trust and you confided in them and you shared something very secret with them and they blabbed it out to others to your shame and to your bitterness and anger. Who are the people in our lives that have brought forth destruction by way of their words? James says words have such a tremendous power to absolutely destroy our lives. And so we need to recognize the third point that I've placed in our sermon guide. Words hold the power of both a good and evil. Good and evil. I love how James communicates this principle starting at verse 9. He says this, 
With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And James, he sticks us right in the heart. He goes to a place where the vast majority of us would rather not go. He says, how many of us, we go to church on Sunday and we sing praises to our Lord and God and we say, you are worthy, we will worship you, you are God, we are not. And then with the same mouth on Monday morning, we spew poison out of our mouth toward our neighbor, the same person who is made in the image and likeness of God. Why do we have a different, song for, a different tongue for Sunday than we do for Monday? Why do we do that? He says, brothers and sisters, this should not be. And remember the principle that Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 12, out of the overflow of the heart, that's where the mouth speaks. You don't go to a fig tree in order to get grapes. And you don't go to the ocean, grab a bucket of ocean water, fill up cups for your kids and say, have a drink. And likewise, we don't come to church on Sunday and sing praises to God and then Monday curse the very people who are made in God's image and likeness. We can't be doing this. And yet we all know that each and every one of us we struggle with a sin nature. This is something that James has been highlighting for us over the course of the last few weeks. That traitor within. No matter how much we try to crucify the old life and to say, that's no longer me, how easy it is for us to fall back into our old habits. I was thinking about a, a story that uh, I've heard recently uh, about a father who was just sick and tired of a mower and so he got rid of it and he bought a new one. And his son came up to him and he said, Dad, can I try and sell that mower? He says, sure, sell it, get rid of it. I don't care. I never want to see it ever again. So this little boy, he gets a sign, mower for sale. He puts it up on the front lawn. He gets himself some lemonade, a seat. He brings out the lawnmower, and he waits for his first customer. And not too long after that, his first customer arrives, and it just so happens to be a Baptist preacher because all good jokes have Baptist preachers <laughs> or newfies, one of the two. And so the Baptist preacher says to the little boy, hey, does the mower work? I'm looking for one. He says, it sure does. So the preacher takes the blazer off and he pulls the cord and it doesn't turn over. He pulls it a second time. It doesn't seem to work. Now he's motivated. And so he gets down and he pulls and he pulls and he pulls and it seems like it's always just about to turn over. All it needs is one more pull and he keeps going and going and going and going and it's just not turning over. He looks at this little boy and he says, I don't think your mower works. He says, Pastor, minister, sir, in order to get this mower to start, you gotta cuss at it. That's what my daddy does. <laughs> the minister looks at him and he says, I've been a, a Christian for 20 years and a pastor for 15 and in all those years I've never cursed. He says, you keep pulling that string, it'll come back to you. <laughs> That's how it is, isn't it? It's so easy for us to fall back into old habits, old routines, just like that. We could resolve wholeheartedly. We say, all right, you know, I'm going to control my tongue. Then we're going to get out to Gladys Ave and we're going to get into traffic. What's going to happen? 
right back at square one. So the question that we need to ask ourselves this morning is, is how do we tame the tongue? What does it look like for us to try and to control this two-pound muscle that has been the source of so much devastation and pain in our lives? How do we do this? I want to share a couple of notes with you. Again, James being very, very practical, uh, wanting to get to the heart of the issue, I want to share just a, a couple of things for you on how to tame the tongue. Number one, admit that you need help. Admit that you need help. We can't have a different tongue for church on Sunday and a different tongue for Monday at work. I was thinking this past week, one one of my favorite stories or my favorite movies growing up was Walt Disney Pixar's Toy Story. And there's a specific scene in Toy Story 2 in which Mrs. Potato Head is packing for Mr. Potato Head. You know, she pulls back his plastic bag or his plastic back, and she provides three things for him. The first is a T-bone steak, which any good wife would, you know, give him on a journey. And the second was uh, an extra pair of shoes. Do you remember what the third was? Some angry eyes, just in case. And I think that for the vast majority of us, we might have a very similar view of our tongues as Mr. Mr. Potato Head when it comes to his eyes. We say, you know what, I'm going to resolve wholeheartedly to use my tongue for good, but I'm coming packing with the angry tongue, with the atomic bomb that is my tongue, just in case. I recall when I was a teenager and I went to AA meetings with my dad Uh, If you've ever been a part of a 10-step program or AA or anything like that, you know that the first step toward recovery is always the same. And I think this is a biblical principle. It's It's inherent in the way that God made us. The first step is always admittance that there is a problem. Hi, my name is Justin. I'm a tongueaholic, and I need help. And that's what we need to see, too. In our life, we need to admit that we have a problem and that we need help. Number two, remember that this is a marathon and not a sprint. This is a marathon, not a sprint. James has repeatedly been telling us that our salvation is start to finish the work of Jesus Christ. It is signed, sealed, and delivered. By grace, you have been saved through faith in Christ. It is all the work of Jesus. This is the doctrine of justification. God the Father, God the Judge, standing before us. He throws down the mallet. He says, you are saved by the work of Jesus Christ. You're free to go. What we're talking about this morning is not the doctrine of justification. We're talking about the doctrine of sanctification. This ongoing process we are, where we are looking and acting and talking more and more like Jesus. That if you were to ask your unchurched or unbelieving friend or family member or coworker, have you seen a change in me the last five years? They would say, absolutely I have. And even though they don't have the language for it, they would probably describe the fruit of the Spirit. They would say, man, you are way more loving than you used to be. And you have such an incredible joy about you that regardless of the circumstances that I've watched you face in the last five years, you are just filled with joy. And you have such a peace about you. And you're so patient, like just drives me crazy. Why don't you just flip out every now and then, be like the rest of us. But you're such a patient person. And you have such incredible kindness. And you're so self-controlled, it makes me angry. They're describing the fruit of the Spirit even though they don't even know that passage of Scripture that describes the fruit of the Spirit. 
Because they can see, even though they don't have the right combination of words, they see the Holy Spirit changing your life from the inside out. And so we need to remember, this is a marathon, not a sprint, but are we growing in progressive sanctification? Are we looking more and more like Jesus each and every day? And my hope and my prayer is if you asked your unchurched or unbelieving friend, they would give an emphatic yes. Number three, pray daily that God would bridle your tongue. Pray daily that God would bridle your tongue. And if you don't know what to pray, here's a passage of scripture that I want to commend to you, something that you could pray every day. Psalm 141, set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let me be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in the wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let that be the prayer that you pray each and every day. Set a guard over my mouth. Set a guard over my mouth. Set a guard over my mouth. Because what did we read in chapter 3, verse 8? What is it that James says there? No human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. You see, the psalmist, his prayer wasn't, God, I just need to try a little bit harder. I need to pull up my bootstraps. I need to be committed to this mission. And if I can just bridle my tongue a little bit better, then everything's going to be okay. So I just need to be dedicated to this task. No, he says, God, I can't do this on my own. I cannot tame my own tongue. Set a guard over my mouth. Set a guard over my mouth. Set a guard over my mouth. He is giving himself over to God. And number four, don't excuse it when you fall. And when you do, confess it. Don't excuse it when you fall. When you do, confess it. See, the question isn't if you are going to fall back into old habits. The question is when. And when that occurs, will you have the courage and the humility to say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I've been working on this, and this doesn't excuse it, but I am so, so sorry. I need to tame the tongue. I'm sorry for the ways that my words have caused harm to you. Will we have the courage to confess it when we fail? And for those of us who really struggle in this area, and what we might not care to admit, is that our closest friends and family members already know we struggle with this. You know, there's certain sins that we might convince ourselves, like, if I just keep it hidden over here, no one will ever know about it. Unfortunately for you, sins of the tongue, they're public. (laughs) Everyone knows you struggle with this already. And so just confess it. Say, this is something that I struggle with. Number five, practice repentance. Practice repentance. Remember the knock nevis? One trillion, three hundred, and sixteen million pounds how it took three kilometers in order for it to turn around. That's what the Greek word for repent actually means. It means to make a U-turn. And so here's what it might look like in your life. You might pray that prayer, set a guard over my mouth. You might do it like 10 times a day starting today. You might say, God, I'm going to start a new habit. I'm going to practice repentance. Then you're going to get out to Gladys Avenue and you're going to say something you shouldn't and you're going to say, all right, God, set a guard over my mouth. I'm going to practice repentance. And then you're going to get through traffic down the, just uh, like one kilometer down the road, and you're going to say, all right, God, I need to practice repentance and set a guard over my mouth. And you're going to pray this prayer maybe 10 times today. But here's what's going to happen. Next week, you're going to pray it five times a day. Next month, you're going to pray it five times a month. 
and then once a month. And you're not going to stop there. Once you curb the habit of spewing poison out of your mouth, what you're going to do from there is you're going to say, God, how can I practice using my tongue as a tool to encourage and equip others? God, equip me to do this once a month. Equip me to do it once a week, once a day, five times a day. And we are going to see this process of progressive sanctification in which we used to spew poison out of our mouth on an ongoing basis. And God is going to continue to curb that habit. And suddenly what we see is we're constantly in the business of using our tongue to bring forth light and life to those who are around us. Practice repentance. Number six, seek accountability. Seek accountability. And this is where it all tends to break down. The vast majority of us would rather die than practice accountability. Because it takes vulnerability, doesn't it? But if we want to be committed to this, we need to ask ourselves not only for God to set a guard over our mouth, but to ask God, who are the people that you have entrusted into my life for such a time as this so that I can grow in progressive sanctification? It will require humility. But who are those people in your life that you could reach out to today? And number seven, and truth be told, this isn't really a number seven. If you got your pencil here this morning, maybe scratch out the seven and put a star squiggly exclamation point with a whole lot of circles because this is really the foundation for this whole thing. If you walk away with anything this morning, I hope this is what you hear. Set your identity in Christ. Set your identity in Christ. See, as we grow in our understanding that Christ's love and forgiveness has already rested on us, that I am first and foremost a son of God who has been adopted by God through the blood of Jesus Christ, it anchors me in the midst of the words that might be said to me Because I am his, I am accepted, I am loved, he is for me, he's not against me. And all the things that Christ has done in this world, his death and resurrection, have now been attributed to my account. My identity is in Jesus Christ. I'm a child of God. I'm an heir to the throne. And you see, here's what happens. If our identity is in anything else, if your identity is in your business or your success, or your grades, or your beauty, or your giftedness, if, you're, if your sense of identity is in anything else, then the very moment you encounter someone who is better than you at that, you are going to want to tear them down because here's the thing, you cannot be dethroned. They cannot take that identity away from you. And so you will do everything in your power to tear that person down so that you can be built back up. But if your identity is in Jesus and you find someone with similar gifts to you, maybe even gifts that exceed yours, your natural response is going to be, oh my goodness, praise God. It is amazing to see the way that you work, the way that God has gifted you for the sake of the kingdom of which we are both part because we're on the same team. Praise God for your gifts. And if someone tries to tear you down, it still hurts, doesn't it? It always hurts every single time someone uses a word to try to harm you, but it won't crush you because your identity is not based on what others will say. Your identity is based on what Christ has already said about you. You are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And it makes all the difference. 
And you know, the more I thought about this this past week, I said, I can't end here. Because truth be told, if, if James wrote this book in 2019, he would use very different anecdotes and illustrations and stories, would he not? The methods of communication have changed from the first century to the 21st century. We didn't even get a printing press until the 16th century, and now we have things called Facebook and and Twitter and Snapchat, whatever that is, and, and other types of social media. We use these on an ongoing basis. So there's a method in which we communicate with others that is not necessarily oral, but it's still communication. You know, this past week I spent a little bit of time reviewing trends on bullying in Canada and cyberbullying. And you would be shocked and horrified at the epidemic that is cyberbullying and bullying today. The number of kids who are taking their own life as a result of this. Not as a result of a chemical imbalance or anything like that, but as a result of the incessant and the constant belittling and bullying and putting down of our peers until they have nothing left. And so as a result of that, I want to spend a little bit of time focusing on what I'm referring to as James Tips for Texting. Helping us not only with our oral communication, but the way we use our fingers the way that we communicate in in other spheres. And so here's the first tip I want to give you. If you can't say it in front of your spouse, and if you don't have a spouse, put a significant other or your dad, don't Snapchat it. If it would make your mom cry, don't text it. And if you can't read it out loud in church, don't tweet it. Would that make a difference? Listen, like like I was sharing with you before, maybe, just maybe, your unchurched and unbelieving friends, for them, you are the only church that they're ever going to get. You're the only Bible study they're ever going to see. And so what informs their identity on who Christ is is the way that you communicate on an ongoing basis. Not only the things you say, but the things that you tweet, the things that you Snapchat, the things that you message out on the cyber web. Number two, don't share through media what you wouldn't say in person. Let me say this humbly, hopefully graciously, but unapologetically. The keyboard is the coward's favorite weapon. Keyboard courage is causing so much damage, not only for us as adults, but for our youth and for our young people. It is so pervasive and it is so powerful. There's a certain level of anonymity that comes when when I can just share it on a keyboard and send it out for everyone to see. So imagine if we adopted this principle. I'm not going to share through media what I wouldn't say in person if they weren't standing right in front of me right now. And number three... When you're mad, communicate tomorrow and in person. Julie and I, we we have a pithy statement that we use from time to time. We like to say, don't make big decisions when you're down or deflated. Have you been there where you've made a big decision when you're feeling down or you're angry or, you know, you're just not level-headed and then two days go by and you think to yourself, what did I just do? Why did I do that? Well, Julie and I perhaps a little bit through some experience, we said, you know, let's stop doing that. 
Even if it's a timely decision, even if it's a really important decision, especially if it's an important decision, let's take time until we're level-headed. Well, the same thing can go for the way that we communicate. Do you remember those moments in your life when you've been harmed or you've been mistreated and all you want to do is reach through your plastic back and bring out your angry eyes and maybe your angry tongue too and say, I'm going to cause damage back. In those moments, what would it look like for you if you said, you know what, I'm gonna communicate tomorrow and in person? Because there's a time for confrontation, isn't there? We still have to confront our neighbor when, when we've been caused harm, but now we are doing it in such a way that hopefully it will bring forth reconciliation. So as we close this morning, what I... What I was thinking about this past week when I was talking with staff and we were sharing with one another uh, the words that have been spoken to us that have brought forth joy, uh, but also sadness and pain, we said, how can we try to cultivate a, a sense in which we are constantly encouraging one another as brothers and sisters in Christ here at Gateway? I was thinking about passages of Scripture like 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 10, which says this, Jesus Christ died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. What would it look like for us if, if Gateway was known in the Fraser Valley as a place of mutual encouragement and edification and bringing joy and peace and contentment and patience and kindness? If, if we were constantly cultivating this type of joy and this type of encouragement in the hearts and the lives of one another? If we were constantly in the business of saying, I see this in you, brother, it's such a joy. I see this in you, sister. That makes me want to be a better Christian. I'm so encouraged by the way that you use your gifts. I'm so encouraged by the way that you give. What if we were constantly in the business of doing that for one another? And so here is what our challenge as a staff is for you. You're gonna see a billboard that's in the lobby. It's already there, and it's going to be there until we finish this James series sometime in 2026. And until we finish this series... Our encouragement to you is to start thinking about right now, who are the people in your life who have been an encouragement to you? And who are the people in your life that you haven't taken the time yet to say, you have been a source of encouragement to me. Thank you. Thank you for the way that you serve. Thank you for the way that you serve my kids. Thank you for the way that you've been an incredible encouragement to me. And let's get in the habit of doing that. We have sheets of paper. We have pens. Write it down. Punch it in. And let's fill up the board. And if you want to take it one step further, take some time to go and talk to that person and say the two most powerful words on the planet, thank you. And let's try to cultivate this as a community of faith here at Gateway. Would you pray with me? Our Holy Father and our God, we thank you that you are actively at work within us, that the work of sanctification is already being done. We ask that you would equip us to that task. We ask that you would take the things that we have learned this morning and that we would be able to apply them to our lives on an ongoing daily basis. And we thank you in advance that, that you are a God who brings forth peace and reconciliation in our lives so that even in those moments where we have experienced pain as a result of words that have been spoken to us, we can seek your comfort we can seek your reconciliation through your shed blood on the cross.
Help us in the way that we use our tongues, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.